And hello, friends. Welcome to this tradition unlike any... <laughs> DNVR golf fam, it's your boy, Big Drive Spence, here with the legend, my little brother, Mitchell, of course, at Big Drive Mitch on Twitter, and we're here for another episode of Big Drive Energy, our last one of 2020. It's insane that we started this adventure about four months ago, and now we're here, still doing podcasts, you guys are still listening to us, and we're very appreciative of that. This episode's going to be a lot of our 2021 New Year's resolutions. Now, we know there's always those resolutions that you make and never keep. I think every year on January 1st, I say I'm going to try to cuss less this year. And then after my first round of golf, that is through the wind, uh, through the roof or whatever you, through the window. I'm tossing that out, out the window. Out the window. There we go. Through the, through, the roo- through the window and out the roof. Through the window, out the roof. But uh, so basically I start with that every single year and... I try to make it two or three or four days, and then it just goes through the roof. So You say you're going to drink less, and that, that ends quickly. You, there's just so many things. Yeah, there's a lot of things going into it. But we are going to get to all the resolutions, so we hit you guys up on Twitter, on Facebook. Got some ideas for uh, what your guys' resolutions are because we wanted to hear it. We're going to basically do a mailbag-style podcast, which... Um, getting input from all of you guys, all of our loyal listeners, all of our loyal fans, and kind of going into some in-depth on some of them, talking about what you guys want to know or what, how, what you want to get better at. We'll give you guys some tips, and then some of them will just go in-depth on that, you know, they're funny, and we'll discuss why they're funny, and, and you know, if we can offer our opinion, we'll, we'll try to do that. So first, before we start talking about real golf, we want to tell you guys about WGT Golf. It's the most popular golf game in the world and the official gaming partner of us at DNVR. So it's been so popular this year that we've opened our fourth country club already, which is insane. Each country club holds over 250 people. So if you guys want to start playing some golf, I know it's snowing out. There's not a lot of tee times around the Denver metro area currently, and you don't want to play in 30-degree weather. Download WGT Golf and head over to the DNVR for a country club. So all you have to do is go to dnvrgolf.com, uh, download it, and then you can start playing courses like Bandon Dunes, Congressional, Pebble Beach, all these great courses around the world, and it's pretty realistic. I don't know. I know you've played it. I've played it. It's it's pretty crazy how realistic, especially playing Kiwa Island after seeing Kiwa Island. I uh, I knew it was pretty uh, 
pretty realistic. So it's it's a lot of it's a cool way to get get on your phone, play some games, and you, you we host weekly tournaments every week, and so you guys will be able to win cool DNVR swag. So get yourself some free awesome DNVR swag for playing a little virtual golf. So make sure you head over to dnvrgolf.com, download WGT Golf today. All right, let me hop in my hop in our menchies here on Twitter, and we'll get going. We'll talk about uh, some of your guys's New Year's resolutions for the game of golf. Um, so first we have Nate, and Nate is at Rocktober19 on Twitter. His resolution is pretty good. He wanted to drink only one beer per hole and eliminate double bogeys. And so, first of all, I'm kind of a lightweight. So if I drink one beer per hole, every score is going to be at least double bogey or worse. So he said they seem to go hand in hand. Uh, Nate, I'm pretty impressed with your drinking ability if you drink one beer per hole and can eliminate double bogeys. So I'm usually like a beer per three holes unless I'm getting pissed off. So a beer per hole is impressive. Even eliminating to that, so now it sounds like you're drinking more than a beer per hole. Your mileage as you consume beers per hole and per mile on the golf course has got to be incredible. So shouts to you for that. Um, good luck with the double bogeys. I think we'll get into this a little more in depth when we talk about other New Year's resolutions, but really double bogeys can be avoided a lot of the time by keeping it in play off the tee. You can't make a lot of double bogeys if, you're, if your second shot or your third shot, essentially, if you you know you're, there's water around the green or whatever. If your second shot and your first shot's in play and your second shot's in play, generally that'll help you with the double bogeys. You can you can three putt and make a lot of bogeys. I do it three times, four times around, so I know it's very possible. But avoiding double bogeys and avoiding big numbers is something that a lot of people, even pros, sometimes struggle with because they can make a ton of birdies and shoot a respectable score, but it's those sixes and sevens. Uh, double bogeys on a par five are like my least favorite thing in the entire world. So, good luck, Nate. Yeah. Cut it down to yeah. one one beer per hole and eliminate those double bogeys. Yeah, I don't know what's more challenging because um, one beer a hole, I would be standing behind a tree about half of my round. I don't know if I could actually get through it. Um, I would have to use the restroom way too often, kind of a tiny tank, but. Eliminating double bogeys is so like just like Spencer said, it, it kind of is a challenge. You just got to keep those tee shots in play. And is there anything more demoralizing than like having a look at par and outside look, and you walk away with a six on a par four, a double bogey? Like that is another huge thing. Is is when you're putting for par, if it's outside of ten, twelve feet, ideally it should be a lag putt to a tap in. That's what you're looking for. You're not trying to, unless it's match play. Obviously, it's a totally different deal. But if you're if you're playing stroke play, you're not trying to make that 20 25 footer. And even if you are trying to make that 20 25 footer, it should not go more than a foot a foot and a half past the hole. Um, which kind of gets into like the talk about controlling speed on the greens. But that is one of the easiest ways. Speed is really the way you eliminate three putts. You're never going to – You're. I'm, I'm sorry. You're rarely going to see somebody miss on a line so bad that they three putt. Like how, how often do you have perfect speed and you miss a line by like seven feet? Rarely. Hardly ever happens. 
usually if your speed's pretty close, then you're uh, you're probably going to have a tap in on the next one or a, a reasonable second putt. But yeah, like Spencer said, keeping that tee shot in play is massive and just giving yourself more looks, even if you're not on the green in two on a par four, if you're not on in regulation, you're around the green in regulation or you're giving yourself a decent look to be on the green putting for par. Exactly. And putting for par, generally you're going to eliminate, of course there's the three putts here and there, but you're generally going to eliminate a good amount of your double bogeys if you are having, if you're having par putts essentially. Exactly. All right, the next one from our boy Michael Harrison. Shout out Michael. He's always replying to us on Twitter. We have a great time talking with him uh, at FlybySignus2112 on Twitter. So Michael says, I want to shoot par or better for the first time in my life. He's shot plus two on three separate occasions and wants to get to par. So I know Mitchell's got some theories on this. Uh, I've never shot under par. No, that's a joke, but... Uh, Mitchell's more intelligent on this, so I'm going to hand this one over to you and let Michael know how he's going to break par or, or shoot an even par around this year. Well, so one of the things that, one of the real challenges about being where you're at, Michael, and, and getting to the point where you want to be is really tracking your statistics and seeing where your flaws are in your game because the better you get at golf, the harder it is to really identify the flaws in your game. You're like, well, I shot 74 that I'm basically two shots off of a even par round, which is ideal for 99.99% of amateur golfers. That's, that is like really, really good. So, I mean, he's a great stick anyways, by the sounds of it, but the toughest thing is first identifying the problem. Um, but the second thing is, and for the most part, now with new technology these days and all the advanced statistics that are around every sport, um, golf included, it really kind of goes to show you more of, of what's saving you strokes versus what, you know, 20 years ago, everyone said it was the putter. You got to make more putts. You got to make more putts. Well, statistically speaking, even the best putters in the world don't score that well. I mean, if you go and look, I was just looking up a few stats earlier. Um, the top 10 in strokes game putting last season on the PGA Tour, not a single one of them, I think, was in the top 20 or top 30. I mean, it's it's very minimal. And then you look at strokes game tee to green, and there is, I think, I mean, there's John Rahm, uh, Rory, Dustin, they're all the guy, all the top guys on tour are in the top 10 strokes gained tee to green, which is basically a statistic that shows you how many strokes you gain versus the rest of the field um, off the tee and approach uh, to the green. But I think one of the biggest things, and I, strokes gained tee to green is the biggest thing, but the approach shot has more to do with it than anything. Hitting greens in regulation is paramount because – when people say, oh, you got to get the putter going, well, if you've got nine, say you hit nine greens of regulation, you've got nine looks at birdie. Even if you make, say, 50% of those, so we'll round it up to five, you know, great. Um, so you make 50%, you make five birdies that round, and that's a high number, just using it for example. Um, if you hit 16 greens in that same round and you make – 
uh, 25% of those putts, you're only making one less birdie. And so if you're making 50% of those putts, you're making eight birdies. It's all about the looks you're giving yourself and your proximity to the hole. Because everybody knows this in golf, those really hot putting days outside of a few really, really good putters. I mean, historically, you think of uh, Ben Crenshaw, Corey Pavin, Luke Donald. I mean, and they're all guys who have had to really be good putters because they didn't hit it long enough or that was just the strength of their game and that's what they leaned on a lot. But outside of that, you really don't see many uh, really good putters at the top of the leaderboard week in, week out because you still have to hit the greens in regulation. I mean, ball striking is A1 in the category of priorities on breaking par or shooting par. Um, but I would say that the approach shot is paramount, and obviously keeping your tee shot in play. If you're shooting in the 70s, um, I doubt you're pumping three balls out of bounds per round. You know what I mean? That's that's kind of an anomaly, and it has happened. It's happened to Spencer a lot. <laughs> that's Spencer's thing is he likes, he likes hitting the balls over the fence. Um, old baseball player, he likes – jumping the fence but uh i like making bogey hitting three off the tee that's like my favorite (laughs) making bogey after hitting three off the tee yeah there there is honestly the momentum swing in your favor is so shocking when you can make a bogey after hitting three off the tee because you're staring double right in the face if not more and then you stuff one and you know knock that in and you're like holy shit i only dropped one shot that is that is wild. Like you almost feel better about your round than you did before the hole. <laughs> so, but what I'm trying to ultimate point I'm trying to get out of here, got to give yourself more looks at birdie and you can't expect to putt well every round because you maybe have one or two good putting rounds out of 10. And that's how those guys on tour, even their bad rounds are pretty damn good because even when they're not putting well, they're still giving themselves enough looks to the point where they're making either par or bogey and then they're scrambling if they're not hitting greens, you know, and there's days where everyone does that, where they feel like they can't hit a green, but they keep making pars. Um, But yeah, I would, I would definitely say the best way, first of all, keep track of your stats and really get down to the root of the issue. But I'm assuming it's going to be proximity to the hole and T to green. And another big thing that a lot of people, um, don't really do very often that I really push with like our high school kids and uh, just my students in general is pick develop it, like pick up patterns in your game, start recognizing trends in your game. Like, Oh, I, I miss that short left or I miss that. And rarely you'll be like, Oh, I keep hitting it over the green. You know, people rarely hit it over the green time in time out, but more directionally, like, Am I missing it? Go over your 18 holes after the round. Be like, am I missing it left? Am I missing it right? Because then you could walk away, and if you didn't keep track of it, you'd be like, I feel like I hit the ball okay, you know, whatever. But then you're like, where? Do, how can I improve? Well, if you were keeping track of your stats, you could have seen that you missed out of the eight greens you missed, you missed six of them to the left or anything like that. And that can really uh, propel you to – finding the answer to your problem because you know there you can't identify an answer to a problem if you don't know the problem in the first place so 
keeping track of your stats and keeping track of your your trends on the golf course and then just working on that ball striking man that that is uh paramount that's where all the all the guys make their dough out on tours is off the tee and in the fairway yeah exactly like they're all great putters compared to us normal and you know amateurs or us as pros that aren't playing on tour but their their ability to hit range like watching if you want to see one of the coolest things if you're a golf fan just go to a, a golf tournament and watch on the range don't even go to the course i mean you can go to the course if you paid for tickets etc cetera, etc cetera. but watching even like when we went to the solheim cup that was at colorado golf club watching women hit these balls on the range and i'm not joking i'm not joking when i say this i watched michelle we jarena pillar is that her name yeah yeah i watched them hit 10 straight seven irons within a six to seven yard area on a on a green that was on the on the driving range and i'm not joking in that when i say that they're they're flag hunting on the range and that just goes to show you how precise all of them especially when they're playing for money and in the solheim cup that's the one of the highest levels you can get at as a woman um and you know represent your country or represent europe and those those ladies were striping and i was just in awe you know i was just a younger golf fan at that point just watching them hit range balls oh yeah i mean i watched uh miguel cabrera back at the bmw the big game hunter he's won a few majors in his day he had a really good career but he's always just showed up in big spots he's not a day in day out winner like a lot of the guys out there but he uh, had a real good career, and I watched him at Cherry Hills hit five or six hybrids in a row on a fucking lot. You can hang clothes on it, just dead straight, and over the net at the end of the range, that was like 270 yards or 280. Like, he was absolutely bombing it, and and he knew exactly where it was going. And we, we've kind of referenced this, like, comparing it to the NBA. You watch a guy in warm-ups – uh, say Jamal Murray, he's making eight or nine out of ten threes. Um, same as these guys on the range, they're hitting probably seven, eight, nine out of ten shots, almost exactly how they want. Because then, once once you get into competition, you know the outside um, agencies start coming into play. The the wind, the the situation, the eye lines, the um, the adrenaline. You know, everyone gets a little a uh, little pumped up on the first tee or whenever. So these guys are stupid good tee to green, and then they're really good putters too. And and usually when you see a guy win on tour that you don't – like Rory McIlroy, for instance, he could win almost every week if he putted to his potential or above his potential. But that's because he strikes the ball so well week in, week out. He's at the top of the leaderboard or near the top almost every week purely because he hits the ball well. Um, and then when you see him win or win by an ass load like he did at the U.S. Open uh, a few years back at Congressional, he was hitting the ball crazy well, and then he's also putting as well. And guys like that, when they can put both together, and it, and it is rare. I mean, I don't care if you're on tour, you're a 10 handicap or a 30 handicap. Having those rounds where you hit the ball really well and also putt really well are few and far between. So the one thing you can control, because putting is somewhat of a game of chance a little bit. I mean, you can get bad breaks. There's other outside things that can come into play when you're putting. But when 
your ball striking is something you can almost completely control on your own. You'll get a few bad bounces here and there, but tee to green is where you can really control your game and kind of let the chips fall where they may from there. You, you might get a good bounce and get one to six inches or a foot for a tap and birdie, or it might bounce a little bit away from the hole and you end up making par, but that is ultimately the way to, to lower your st- scores consistently over time. Yep, exactly. So we're going to go to the next two. We're going to kind of pair them together since it's one half and second half of D-Line Co. and all the guys that make our awesome merch. So D-Line, Eric, as you know him, and Blaze Hunter, uh, they both kind of said a little bit, not necessarily the same thing, but like D-Line said he wanted to play more. And I don't care what your New Year's resolution is for golf, that should be number one on everybody's list because you can always, unless you're some of the members at our course, I won't name names, you can always play more golf. And really, by playing like playing golf and swinging a club are two very different things. And we've talk, kind of talked about this before, but you see some people on the range or some people in general that they look like they have a great move at it. But if you don't play enough golf and get comfortable with all... Because golf is not the range. Top golf is fun. The range is where you get better overall. But when you actually go out and play golf more, first of all, it's more fun. That's why we're, we did this. That's why we want to get people into this. That's You come out and see us at the Valley of Fun. You can play as much golf as you want. We'll always get you guys set up, any of the DNVR peeps. But basically playing more golf, it, it allows you to get better in general because you just kind of know whether you're missing every shot right. The more golf you play, you kind of feel like that, and you know that, and you can compensate for that or try to figure it out. But it's when you play very little that you can't, like you said earlier, you can't fix a problem if you don't know what the problem is. You can't find a solution to it. And so the more golf you play, whether that means you find more problems or not, it's you want you need to find those problems, and, and playing more is the, is the number one way to do that. And then Blaze said, enjoying the game more than worrying about my score. And I'll touch on this just a little bit because... I'm a better than average golfer, but sometimes I get so enthralled with my score or what I'm shooting, blah, 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 that it just ruins the round. And that's that's one of the things that when you go play a lot, everybody's got expectations. And, you know, it's funny because golf is so different than any other sport in in terms of, of a, a lower level of lower level of play, let's put it that way. Like when Jamal Murray shoots one for 10 from the three-point line, he shoots one for 10, everybody talks about it, stats, blah, blah, blah. But when you go to, like, the rec and play basketball for fun, you don't really think about, you know, some days you may have a really bad day. Some days you're your random team of three dudes that played in college and think they're the shit and you're terrible may let you let you know that you're the only one on the five, you know, the team of five that's letting them down. But overall, you, you just play basketball, you have a fun time doing it, you run up and down the court, you play basketball because you love basketball. But golf is always, you're always tracking what your, well, most people are always tracking what their score is. And half the time, I don't even, like, I don't even try to bring a scorecard, you know, unless we're playing a match or we need to keep track of points or things like that. But overall, if you just don't bring a scorecard and you just try to enjoy what's around you, the, you know, every round of golf is so different that even if you play the same course, you're hitting it in different spots, you're, you're seeing different lines, you're checking out views, um, you're doing all this other stuff. So really enjoying the game is the crux of this game. You know, that's why it started. And then it gets competitive because you see, you watch on TV and see people shoot all these, you know, professionals shoot all these low scores, or you shoot one round of 
and I'm a big, you know, I'm a big pundit, uh, whatever the word is of this, but I expect to shoot even par without practicing because I've shot even par, or I, I shoot, I've shot 69 or 68 at Spring Valley, and I expect to do that every time. And you really got to practice and continue to get to those goals, but that's an A round. And in reality, 90% of your rounds, 80%, let's say 80% of your rounds are going to fall in the B to C category. There's going to have, you're going to have 10% of your A rounds, you're going to have 10% of your F rounds. But really enjoying the B to C, knowing that you can get to the A level is, is part of the mental, mental part of the game of just trying to enjoy it more. So really, you know, it, it's just one of those things where you just kind of have to take it for what it is some days and some days just realize you suck and, and we're not, none of us are good. You know, you, you have to realize that even me and Mitchell going out there, Mitchell and I, however the proper verbiage is on that, going out there, we expect to shoot low rounds because we're competitive, and everybody is. If you're not competitive in the game of golf, I, I actually, um, I envy you a little bit because you can just go out there and have fun. But everybody gets a little competitive juices flowing, whether it's to win the next hole or to push a a skin or whatever it may be. But enjoying the game is really the the true reason we go play. You don't. You don't have to play golf. You don't have to go to the golf course and play 18 holes. You do it because you want to be with your buddies, you want to be with your friends, and you want to go out there and have a few drinks and have a good time. So that's those two kind of playing more golf and just enjoying the game while you're playing more golf go hand in hand to me and should be at the top of everybody's resolution list. We're not none of us are on the PGA tour, so let's take it down a notch and get down to, you know, where we're just enjoying the game more. Yeah, absolutely, and I. Uh... I definitely agree with where you're going there. One thing I will say um, is that golf is unlike any other sport in the way, and Spencer touched on it a little bit, but your effort level doesn't always exactly um, correlate to your score at the end of the day. Like Spencer could go out and grind his ass off and work, work so hard on every shot, and his score could actually go up because he's putting too much pressure on himself. Um, I don't know. There, a, gol- a good round of golf is almost like trying to catch a stray dog. You don't, when you're trying to catch a stray dog, do you run up and try to grab it? No, it's going to run away from you. You have to kind of let it come to you. You have to sit there and, and get comfortable with it and let it come to you and not force it. It's just something you cannot force. And another tough thing that a lot of people do, um, is they know how well they're playing and then they self-sabotage themselves. They always end with a a bad hole or whatever because they know what their score is. And that is something you just have to get comfortable with and that comes from playing more golf. It's kind of like I've been there, done that type of thing. You rarely see a guy out on the PGA Tour who goes from never winning at all to winning... A massive tournament like a major or or something like that because they've never been there before uh they don't know what winning on the pga tour feels like it's it's a big stepping stone thing for golf like you'll never see a player go from never breaking 90 to shooting a 78 all of a sudden because that's just too uncomfortable and it really rarely ever happens uh it is a game of milestones and that's the beauty of it. It's the journey. And I know it's, that's corny, but really when you look back, you don't remember, 
I don't remember half of the the scores I shot this summer, um, or ninety nine percent of the scores actually. Threw a few good ones in there here and there, but I just remember all the fun I had and the, the laughs with my friends and drinking and having maybe too much to drink and just fucking around. You know, that's that's really the beauty of it. So you gotta realize what what's important when you go out there versus like, oh, I just want to beat balls and and really try to shoot my best score today because at the end of the day you never know when your best score is coming you know you're gonna give yourself your best shot and if things fall your way then they do and you'll shoot your best round ever but if they don't you know it's not something you can take too personally and and one other thing i have to say too is just that the expectation is and we've talked about this multiple times um but realizing how good you are and how good you're not is one of the best things that can save golf for everyone because people have this unrealistic expectation of, Oh, I should be shooting this because I shot this score 10 years ago, or I should, this is my best round last year and I haven't played once this year. It's just all about tempering your expectations uh, and, and being comfortable with where your game's at, you know, just, Go out there and enjoy it and be like, hey, if I shoot 85 today, I'll be super stoked. But if I shoot 90, it's not the end of the world, but I still had a bunch of fun. That's that's the way I approach most of my rounds of golf. So, Yep. So next is uh, our boy RK. We've probably played more golf. I've probably played more golf with him than just about anybody this year other than you. And he's he's a blast to play with. He's a funny dude. And he, he for somebody that doesn't play a ton of golf, he, he could really be good. He's got a great – he's a great putter. Um, and he does hit irons well. He hits wedges well. When we were out caddying for him again with Vic and Moj, you had a good time like telling him what to hit, and then he just bla- he just fires one right at the pin and makes birdie. But Brian does struggle with the driver, and so he his New Year's resolution is he's going to get his damn driver straightened out. And I will say I, I've definitely tried to help him with this, and we're going to continue to work on it. It's a work in progress, as most things in golf are. But the one thing that's kind of funny about this is he says straightened out. And I don't know if he means it literally or figuratively, but really nobody's going to hit the driver straight all the time. And what we've kind of tried to work on with what I've tried to work on with Ryan a ton is we just, and this is something that all of you can learn becoming better golfers is you want to learn to miss to one side of the golf course and that's it. Not everybody hits the ball straight every time. If you watch a professional and you watch their shot tracers, they're moving it left, they're moving it right. But the thing is, they're comfortable with that, and they know what they know what causes the ball to move left and right. And we'll, maybe that's for another episode, and we can go real galaxy brain on everybody, flop our knowledge on the counter. But uh, it, it's really missing one way or the other, and Ryan tends to miss right a fair amount, which is fine. Not fine. It's it's okay, though. You can live with it. But it's when you miss right a ton, and then you start snap hooking it, that you get in a lot of trouble, and really the scores start to fly up in the air and go way higher than you'd expect or want because you're, you're missing both sides. And you can't control a miss to both sides, but you can control a miss to one side and set aim lines and pick things that pick, you know, basically areas where you want to miss versus missing on both sides, and you, you just don't know what's going to happen. So we'll help you get that driver straightened out, but we'll also help you get the miss to one side because you are going to miss some. I miss them all the time, and I, I know my miss is usually right, but when I hit a snap hook, it just blows my mind because I didn't prepare for that, and I'm already aiming maybe a hair left of where I should be, 
but it's rough when you miss to the bo- both sides of the golf course. Yeah, it, it really does like paralyze your golf game when you can show up to the first tee and you're like, I could miss this left or right. And, you know, people, everybody misses, like Spencer said. But, yeah, having that one-way miss and feeling comfortable with, if I aim up the left center of the fairway, I'm either hitting it straight or it's fading to the right center or into the right rough. But that's really just having a consistent one-way miss is such a huge step in going from that. Well, and it's different for every golfer, but going from like 85 to, to consistently sub 80 is taking those penalty strokes out of play. Um, not hitting the water, not taking drops, not, you know, all of the above. And it's every aspect of the game. There's no one aspect of the game that can, can change for everyone, you know, to improve them. Um, but another thing, like I just said, is keep track of those stats, see where you're giving up strokes first and foremost. But then, yeah, like Spencer said, 100%, cutting out that miss uh, to the left for Ryan will be huge. And just for him to be comfortable, I mean, even look at John Rahm. I don't know if people, I'm sure everyone's seen shot trackers on John Rahm. He hits a 15, 20-yard fade. And, yes, he hits the absolute shit out of it. He swings it probably close to 120. And he's one of the longer hitters on tour. But he hits a fade, and it's not just falling out of the sky to the right. It's a pretty sizable fade. So everyone who's like, oh, I want to draw it, I want to draw it, I want to draw it. Well, that's been debunked these past 10, 15 years by technology. And you can, people say fades go shorter than draws, um, which technically in a vacuum, they should not. I mean, if you've got a ball spinning at the exact same rate, uh, left to right and right to left, which the one thing about drawing the ball that does benefit uh, distance is generally you deliver less loft on the club face because it is which we call dynamic loft which will then lower what we call spin loft which is what creates the amount of spin you put on the shot um which will then make the ball run further in the fairway but honestly there's sometimes where you've seen people who drive actually lose distance because they can't keep the ball in the air long enough i mean you have to find the happy medium where Yes, spinning it too much is a problem, but spinning it too little is also a problem. So drying the ball is not the end-all, be-all. A fade is perfectly fine. Dustin Johnson went to play in a fade. Actually, a lot of guys out on tour have gone from drawing it to fading it. The only time you see guys uh, consistently play a draw on tour are the ones who really need the extra few yards, like Brian Gay, like uh, who am I – who am I missing? There's there's certain guys out there where they can't afford to not get that extra 10 to 15 yards of roll. And so then from there, they have to pretty much go with the option that's going to create the, the biggest amount of ball speed for them, which a lot of times does end up being a draw. But if you can hit a fade effectively, and control is such a big thing. Like, I... I'm not the longest hitter in the world, but and I, I actually just don't try to even swing that hard because I would prefer to hit fairways rather than uh, swinging as hard as I can 110% and, and missing fairways and not knowing where my ball's going. I'd give up 10 yards for uh, 
and statistically speaking, that's actually incorrect. But I'm at the point in my game where I want to keep it in the fairway. I'm I'm not trying to get out on tour right now, so I don't need to hit it 20 yards further. Um, but yeah, there's there's a happy medium between distance and control for sure. Yeah, and well, and we won't get too much into this, but. A draw is much harder to control than a fade. Just, well, I'll just say that. If you're worried about always hitting fades or slices, slices are different than a fade, but be glad it's not a draw or a snap hook because they're a lot, they're honestly a lot easier to fix and a lot easier to control than a fade. I mean, it's ben not Hogan, a hook. Ben Hogan used to call, uh, he said a, a hook is, is like having a snake in your pocket. Like you never, you never know when it's going to crawl out and it's vicious. Like it, there is nothing worse the feeling of hitting a snap hook. I don't know if there's a worse feeling in golf. Like you can feel it right off the bat. You're sometimes I just let go of the club. Uh, I mean, you've seen me frequently do that, Spencer. Um, That's a pain. when I feel like I'm going to snipe it. I just let go because I can't hold on any longer. Like I, I physically can't follow through because it just feels like such shit. I I just can't do it. So yeah, I I've been a fader of the ball before, and I've been a drawer of the ball. And uh, draws are definitely they're tougher to control for the average player, for sure. Yeah, and they're not. It's not necessarily a natural motion, for sure. But yeah, it, it involves a lot of rotation and a lot of technical things, uh, club face conditions, so on and so forth, that make it more challenging to do versus a fade. Exactly. So going on to the awesome. Swiss Army Knife, great Ali Monroy. Um, the DNVR, like, mom, kind of, like, held, holds everyone together, keeps us all in check. She's great, and she's just picked up the game of golf this last year. I've hit up top golf with her and sometimes, and she said, I will master my swing. Allie, I'm sorry to sorry to tell you, but that won't happen this year. you got a couple more <laughs> years and, and, honestly, a lifetime before you master a swing. But one of the things she said is her she wants to master her aim. And that's something I noticed just being at Top Golf with her or um, playing golf with her is, and th- and this is not just her. I've seen this with so many people. There's people that go out on the range and they're like, oh, I'm hitting everything to the right. And one of the first things I do, no matter what club somebody's hitting, is I'm like, all right, tell me where you're aiming or tell me what you're trying to hit at. Because half the time people hit the ball straight or fairly straight, but they're aimed so far right that it it they're hitting the ball right of where they think they're aimed and then they end up missing to the right and i kind of liken it to i always tell people this like when you shoot a gun right that's in the most precision you ever have in your life you need to have if especially if you're you know if you're shooting target or whatever but if you're shooting a gun where do you look at the at the down the gun you don't you don't hold it out across your body where a golf club or a golf head of the club would be where the ball is and and aim that way you go look right behind it so aim is a big thing, and I see a lot of right-handed golfers that aim way right of their target. And I'm still a bit of a what's the word? I I still do this, like because I still you got to tr- almost trick yourself sometimes based on which eye dominant you are. There's so many little things that go into it, but you got to kind of trick yourself sometimes to aim your body left. Your body and your shoulder should be actually aimed left of your target for your club face to be aimed at your target. So Ali, we will definitely get your aim down. And as weird as it feels, you have to trust that you're aimed correctly when somebody else tells you. Because from looking from behind, you can tell exactly where somebody's club face is aimed. Yeah, 100%. And one thing that I always tell people 
Um, I don't care who it is. Anyone from any level can benefit from in your pre-shot routine. And most people don't have a pre-shot routine to begin with. But even if you go up before you step up and hit the ball, one thing, if you've ever played around a golf with me, um, I stand about three or four feet behind the ball and I pick a spot out about six inches to a foot in front of the ball that is in line with my target where I want to aim. And the first thing I do when I get into my uh, dress position is I set the club face down, pointed at that target, and then I set up around that, depending on what ball flight I want, so on and so forth. But when you're looking at a target 80, 100, 150, 200 yards away, it is much more challenging to be precise with your aim and have any clue where you're aiming. It's just with like putting is the same thing. When you, when you have a 20 foot putt, you can't stand over it and be like, yeah, I'm aiming right at the hole. It's much easier to tell six inches to a foot in front of you. As long as that point between the ball and the hole is lined up with your target and you line your putter up to that, it's going to be much easier to control your alignment. And then from there, I mean, we see people, alignment can throw off your golf swing in so many different ways. It really is nuts because you you are aiming so far right and you're so used to seeing the ball miss right of the target that you start manipulating your, your club face and your club path to try to get the ball to the, to the target because everybody subconsciously in any sport – it's reactive, like baseball. You see the ball coming at you, you try to hit the ball. Um, volleyball, you see the ball coming at you, you hit the ball. Football, you see the ball coming, you you can't try to catch the ball. You try to contort your way and in, uh, your body in any way possible to catch the ball. So your body in golf naturally will subconsciously, even though you don't know it, will try to get the ball to your target regardless of how far away it's aiming. So the alignment is really a fairly simple thing, but I've seen players' golf swings completely derailed. No shit from from their alignment. They get so far off. And even on the other side of that, if you change a player's alignment, it's amazing what it can do for their golf swing because then their eye line is much different they look up and they see it much differently and it changes their their mental thought their thought process of how they're gonna get the ball to the target and their body has an easier time actually of manipulating the club and the swing to get the ball to the target, if that makes any sense. Oh yeah, absolutely. There's so many more things that go into it than what meets the eye or what you think when you start picking up golf or haven't been taught or A lot of golf is actually backwards, and we won't get into ball flight laws because that's another two-hour podcast, but there's a lot of things that you think are a certain way, and they're actually the opposite. They like to say sometimes feel isn't real, and that that definitely is abundant in the game of golf. There's where there's a bunch of different times where you feel like something's happening, and it's actually the opposite. Next, we're going to go to uh, Josh Larita. He is at Larita Josh on Twitter. He had a couple ones. He said he had a couple of responses. He said, being consistent in putting, just everything I suck. It's okay. We all do, Josh. And then he had another one um, talking about uh, putting especially. I'm getting too many three or more putts. It kills me. 
Putting is one of those things that's hard to teach. Whenever somebody asks me if I want to put, they want a putting lesson. I'm like, dude, it, the let me tell you. Let's let's start with this. Putting is complete, ninety percent feel and ten percent. And you can disagree with me on this, but it's about an eighty to ninety percent feel and ten percent mechanics. There's a few things you can do absolutely wrong in the putting stroke, but one of the best putters we know out of Spring Valley that played college golf and just kills it, he is if you saw him putt you'd be like what is this guy doing and he makes it from anywhere he putts from off the green to a foot he's incredible with the putter so really it, it, this sounds like a lame thing to tell you there Josh but really you want to just go out and practice practice three footers get the get a feel practice some distance drills go three feet to six feet to nine feet back to three feet and get a feel for each of those and of course every course is different every green's different but try to find yourself as straight and flat a putt as you can and get a feel for what a three-footer feels like because I can't tell you what a three-footer feels like. I know in my head and I know in my my body, but I can't tell you what that feels like. So work on that. Work on the speed. And like Mitchell said earlier, it speed is the speed. You have to to make a putt. You have to have the right speed in the right line. But ninety percent of the time, three putts are because of bad speed. So work on speed more than you work on your line. Reading greens, I can't teach you how to do that either. If I could, I wouldn't be doing this podcast. I'd be a millionaire. But overall, just try to find the general slope of the green if you're struggling with three putts. Figure out which way it'll miss or which way the ball's going to move when you putt it. And then really focus in on the speed. Once you get your line picked out with your putter, set your putter down, it's all about speed at that point. You're not going to three putt a lot because you miss a putt six feet off. You know, it's just not going to happen. You're going to three-putt a lot because you hit one 10 feet short or, or blow one 10 feet by. Next. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you real quick. Sorry. I, uh, the easiest lesson you can give anyone is a putting lesson because you look at their grip, you look at their setup a little bit, and I wouldn't say it's easy. Don't get me wrong. Putting is very challenging, and there's guys who make a boatload of money teaching putting out on tour and this and that, but it really is more mental and it's more strategy than it is the actual physical putting um, motion that can get you derailed. So yeah, it's it's a lot of it's mental. It just comes down to practice, uh, practice, practice, practice. Different speeds of greens, different you know, and uh, uphill, downhill, left to right, right to left. Just the more you can see putts, the better off you're going to be putting. Absolutely. So moving on to Eric Anhold at EA Anhold on Twitter. He said getting his chips under control and not leaving putts short. One of the things I'll say about that, chipping is very tough. It's very easy to teach because so many people do it wrong. Won't go too in-depth into that, but really just try to get yourself a consistent, and consistent's a word we use a ton in golf, but if you're consistently hitting the ball right, you can figure that out, If, like I said earlier. If you're consistently hitting chips short, you can figure that out. If you're, consi- if you're consistent in even being consistently bad, you can. F- there's a problem where you can find a solution. If you're inconsistently bad, then, you know, always uh, at D- or DNVR, or golf bros at thednvr.com, email us. We'll hook you up with a lesson. We'll get you guys all set up because I really do feel like some people taking a lesson just on things like chipping can improve so many strokes off their game. Yeah, I agree 100%. And the the main thing I see missing uh, with amateurs in chipping is the ability to control the low point of the club, basically, which means 
you don't know when the club is going to bottom out. So that comes when you chunk it, when you blade it. Um, usually, for the most part, I would say 98% of people struggle with their chipping because of their weight distribution at their setup. If I can tell you one thing, get the majority of your weight on your front foot, on either if you're a right-hander or it's your left foot, lean almost almost lean into that left side and really take that variable out of play because the biggest key like i said is controlling where you make contact with the ground if you can make contact with the ground in the exact same spot every time you're going to be great at chipping and vice versa and that's what a lot of people a lot of people have a tendency to to lean back on their their back side and then they they fall back and they blade it and they hit behind it and they chunk it so just controlling that low point is huge for chipping. Yeah, and that's a perfect transition into our next guy, at Colton Strickler. That's our DNVR rugby dude, so follow him on Twitter, at Colton, with two O's, Strickler, S-T-R-I-C-K-L-E-R, or at DNVR underscore rugby. He's an awesome dude. He went to CSU, knows knows his rugby stuff, so if you're not following him and listen to this, definitely follow him, but... Colton said he'd like to never blade a wedge again starting in 2021. And sorry to tell you, Colton, I love you, but that's not going to happen. But what Mitchell said, just find your low point, man. Find find a consistent shot and where that club is hitting the ground and hit a lot of chips without, without a ball. And this is one of the things that I get into with a lot of my lessons is everybody wants to hit balls. Everybody wants to basically, you know, that's the fun part of the game. And I'm not going to tell you not to do that, but really getting better at chipping, at putting, putting not necessarily as much, but chipping in full swing and just some positions you're in, you can figure out a lot better by not hitting a ball. Because when you hit a ball, you get that negative connotation, whereas you may have done 99 out of 100 things right in that swing. And one little thing, the golf is such a perfectionist game, that one little thing could have thrown that off. So a lot of the times if you can get a consistent, there's that word again, chipping motion or swing motion, then you can go on and fix what's wrong with that. But until you're consistently doing one thing or another, so it sounds like you're consistently blading your wedges, find that you know find that bottom of your swing where you're basically the club, essentially a blade, your club is coming up before it gets to the golf ball. So maybe move the ball back in your stance a hair. Like Mitchell said, get that weight more on the left side. Allow yourself to not shift around, move your hips a ton, and you'll blade a lot less wedges in 2021. Not all of them. You won't not blade one, um, but you will blade a few. But you're going to cut the blades down, essentially. For sure. All right, our last Twitter answer from at Nick Power. Um, to warm up before a round, instead of doing two practice swings on the first tee, and I just want to say, Nick, fuck that. That's the best way to go. No, I'm just kidding. But really, that's what we do. I, usually, if, if I have ten minutes before a round, five minutes is spent in the bathroom and five is spent in the bar yeah exactly (laughs) i I walk right out to the first tee and just send it no but in reality to get better uh one thing i will say on this is don't you go out to the range and practice if you have the time always give yourself some time to warm up but don't go out to the range and hit certain shots and think that that's exactly what's going to happen on the golf course a lot of people are like oh i just hit it so good on the range i went to the course don't put too much into practicing before a round. Put a lot into warming up before a round, especially if you have back issues, leg, you know, whatever it may be. Get those muscles warm because a golf swing does take a lot of your body muscles that you don't expect it to. But don't necessarily worry about, 
oh, I just hit 10 hooks on the range. I've hit 50 slices on the range, and then the first tee, I hook one. It's just, there's different, it's a different world when you get out on the golf course. So definitely warm up, but don't worry too much about practicing, and definitely make sure you get to the bar and the bathroom before the round. There's nothing worse than that. 100%, yeah. Just like Spencer said, way too many people go out to the range and they think they're going to work on their swing before the round. That's the absolute worst thing you can do. You're going out to the range to stretch out and warm up. I don't care if you hit every shot perfect or if you hit every shot like dog shit. There is no direct correlation between the range and the course. So some of my best rounds I've ever played, I never hit a ball before the round. I simply stretched out, made sure I was super loose and hit some chips and putts. Uh, and some people prefer to hit balls before a round, you know, they like, uh, seeing their trends or whatever, but, uh, overall getting loose is paramount. The way you're hitting the ball in the range rarely correlates over to the uh, course. Exactly. So moving on to Facebook, good old Facebook. Um, if you guys, you know, friend us on there, we don't have official DNVR golf Facebook page, but obviously follow DNVR sports on Facebook. We post a lot of our uh, course reviews there, other things we do, podcasts, writing, all that stuff. So uh, we get a couple comments, have fun, longer drives. So longer drives, one thing I'll get into real quick, a lot of people think they need to swing harder, and I'll get into, I'll say this word again and probably wear out my use for it for the year. Really getting consistent contact is one of the bigger keys to longer drives. It, the, the pros hit the ball so far because they hit the ball in the dead center of the club face where you're supposed to hit it. So not necessarily swinging harder. I can, I can find you 10 people that swing a hundred miles an hour and there's going to be somebody out there that swings 92 miles an hour with a driver that hits the ball 20 yards further because their centeredness of contact and their consistency of contact is a lot better. Um, one of the things we got here, uh, Eric Williams, our boy, uh, chipping touch and reading the greens. So chipping touch, we touched on that a little bit earlier. Won't get into that too much. It's just a lot about feel and practice. Reading greens, one tip I can give for reading greens that I don't think we talked about earlier, but is when you're, especially longer putts, I can't teach you how to read a 10 footer. You just got to get a feel for it. But reading longer putts, don't worry about too much what the ball does in the first 10 to 15 feet of a 30 footer. Look at what it does near the hole, because that's when the ball is moving the slowest and going to break the most. And that's what I see a lot of people, they they get, when they're standing over the ball, they feel that it's moving way left on them, but at the hole it moves 10 feet right, so they almost aim to the right, and then by the time they're hit, they hit that putt, the ball starts out 9 feet right of the hole and, and breaks another 4 to 5 feet right, and you got a 15-footer. So when reading greens, the one tip we can give you over a podcast form is definitely to read read what the ball does around the hole. Yeah, I I definitely agree. Uh, shout out Eric, I love he's my guy um, from Columbine Credit Union. He's the new CEO, so shout out to him. He always takes me to uh, charity golf events. We have a blast. Um, so I can tell Eric personally that you read the greens a lot better when you're not eight shots deep um, or six cocktails, beers, Coors Lights deep. That always helps. But the second thing that helps with reading greens, especially on longer ones, is chopping the putt up into different sections. If you have a 30-footer, you go stand 10 feet away from your ball, um, or you read the first 10 feet, and you're like, okay. And you have to keep into account the uh, speed, like Spencer said. The closer to your ball that you are, the less it's going to move. 
but then you can kind of be like, well, it moves a foot left in the end, uh, in the last 10 feet, six inches left in the middle, and it's straight at first. So then you can kind of pick your aim point from there versus like, well, it, it just dissecting it into smaller parts always makes it easier as opposed to looking at one big thing and, and trying to figure it out that way. So Our guy, uh, Jonathan Sampson, he wants to keep his hands low with his driver set up and help his drives go straighter and not too much right to left with a couple of duck emojis. So <laughs> get, like we talked about earlier, getting the duck hook out of out of your drives is a big key. You, you, Johnny, you got a great swing, so keep moving it right to left like you do because that's a, a talent that not a lot of people have. Um, but like you said, keeping your hands low, and Mitchell, I think you can touch a little bit more in depth on this. Yeah, I've noticed that I've actually played around with this, Jonathan, so I know what you're talking about. Um, first of all, keeping your hands lower can, at address, usually your wrist is in more of a, a cupped position, or should we say a uh, extended position, versus when your hands are higher, that left wrist is usually going to be flatter, which is flexion for all the for all the technical people out there. So your left wrist is going to be in flexion, which is then going to cause the club face to actually shut more or start with a closed, um, which is one of the big factors in duck hooks. And then also when your hands sit a little lower in your address position, you have a tendency to take the club a little bit more outside because if your hands are sitting real low, you don't have as near as much of a tendency. And I'm actually doing it with my hands right now to, to reference what I'm talking about just to feel it. But when your hands are sitting lower in a dress, you actually feel more of a, a need to take the club more straight back and more up around you versus when those hands are high, it's really easy to just turn and get your hands way too deep behind you, which is then going to get the club coming way too far from the inside, which will cause those duck hooks. So that I, I do like that tip. I It's something you can play around with. Um, just get a comfortability position uh, when you're setting up. There's really no right or wrong way to do it. But those are, those are a few reasons why putting your hands lower at a dress could help you with those duck hooks or lack thereof. Yeah, our boy Chris Hill commented, uh, one of our very first DNVR golf members. We love you, Chris. His resolution is to play around with Mitchell, me, me, Mitchell, and someone, or me, you, and someone else. So, well, Deb, Chris, we'll definitely make that happen next year. I don't know how much fun we are to play with all the time, um, but we'll definitely make that happen sometime in 2021. So you can count on that. And then uh, uh, my favorite one. Um, our boy Dave Bowen, our uh, old baseball coach. So this is his comment, and you, we can go into it. We can unpack this as we go. He needs to learn to swear with more creativity. Um, that is one of the keys to golf. I've heard that swearing makes things hurt less. Like if you get hurt, like you get hit or you break a bone, swearing makes that pain actually go away. That's a clinical study. I can't find you the, the link for that, but look that up. Um, swearing with creativity really is the most fun part to the game of golf. Like I said, I try to not swear every year, and every year it comes back out, my first round of golf. Uh, but swearing with creativity, that's an A1 goal for 2021. I need to flick my wrist when I throw my 5-iron for distance, but keep it straight when throwing it at a specific target. And I need to compensate for the win when trying to plop a ball in the middle of the slow-playing threesome ahead of me. So uh, a lot to unpack there with Dave uh, just a funny dude. 
Um, he's got a lot to work on, clearly. Mitchell's been giving him lessons. He's out golfing every weekend. True, uh, true blast to see a guy like him, who we've known our whole lives, kind of really get into golf. Him and his wife come out all the time, play the Valley of Fun. So, um, Mitchell, you can kind of get into uh, maybe some some accounting for the win when trying to flop the ball and threesome in front of you. Yeah, he's just a he's just a jokester. I'm not even gonna try to give him a, a serious answer to this, but uh, love Dave to death. And the real cool thing with him is he was a competitive. He I think he was a professional baseball player. He played in the minor leagues for a bit, and then um, he coached us in baseball. He played competitive. Uh, fast pitch softball for a long period of time or soft pitch I'm sorry not soft pitch fast pitch and he played actually competitive like fast pitch baseball up until just recently and we I like to call him old man winter because he's always got this super long white goatee and I always like talking shit but he's a real competitive dude and the, the golf bug really bit him this year and he's been he's been locked in ever since and uh giving him a few lessons like Spence said and his natural talent really comes through but he just needs to play more that's that's really it and get rid of that baseball swing like so many people that we know it's so ingrained they grow up playing baseball or softball and it's so hard to, to work away from that oh yeah and then our, our older brother um not officially but uh, basically in life Anthony Gibb he wants to get that goddamn quotes slice out of his drive and <laughs> long irons um, one of the things you can do to start, there's a lot of things that go into a slice, but grip is one of the biggest issues we always see. So take that club, put the push those hands more clockwise around the club, and that'll start to help you release the club quicker. Your face won't be as open, and then swing path and other things go into that. But really starting with the grip, proper grip, like you said, a lot of baseball players, we see we all of our golf teams, like first-time baseball players, so we got to fix that with all of them. But really getting a proper grip is the first big step into hit, not hitting a slice. He also says best nine-hole round was 48. We'd love to shoot a 41 or 42, and that's a legitimate goal. Shaving six strokes off, usually when you're in that 48 round, 48 ish per nine holes you know he's not trying to shoot par um but really eliminating if i I think eliminating putts will be a big key and uh chips and putts really if you're shooting for a score if you want to get overall better at golf you know it's irons and things like that but sometimes if you're just trying to kind of band-aid not so much band-aid but get better instantaneously the short game is really the spot to go and chipping um one of my reply tweets to one of our, our comments was the worst feeling, and I tell my high school kids this, all our high school kids this all the time, the worst feeling of chipping is not putting the wedge in the bag and grabbing a putter and chipping again. So really just focus on getting that ball on the green, and it'll save you usually two to three strokes per nine holes. Yeah, 100% agree with you there. All right, well, that's it. We, uh, we really appreciate all your guys' responses. That's one of our favorite things about having this Twitter account and having this platform that we have is is enjoying meeting you guys, talking to you guys, giving you guys lessons, uh, interacting with you guys on social media. So uh, follow us on Twitter at dnvr underscore golf if you haven't already. 
Follow Mitchell and I personally at Big Drive Mitch at Big Drive Spence. If you want to mute us on Sundays during Bronco games or any night the Nuggets or Abs are playing, that's fine. We kind of go off, especially if we had a few cocktails. But um, really appreciate you guys making 2020 a great year for us. We're just starting off. The rocket ship is just now taking off. But we plan to take this to awesome lengths. And keep following along with us in 2021. Tell a friend or tell 10. And until next time, Big Drive Energy, I'm at Big Drive Spence, he's at Big Drive Mitch. We'll talk to you guys next year.